grateful for the word in front of us. We're grateful for your prophets, your apostles, the men who saw you. We'd ask that you would help us see you and the life in front of us better. In your son's name, amen. Okay, we're, once again, last week we were in Jeremiah, and you know how pastors get. Now, this is not a series because we were in seven last week. We're in ten this week, mostly because I had, it was odd, I had something on my mind. It wasn't Jeremiah, but I flipped to Jeremiah because I was there last week. And I happened to flip open to Jeremiah 10, started reading, and lo and behold. Now, this might be an example of how, um, you know, buy a new hammer, everything looks like a nail. Uh, and pastors always find a way to talk about their favorite stuff. So, you know, just algebraically remove that from what you hear this morning. Just say, oh, that's just Devin with his new hammer. Um, but there's something going on that sometimes we have very different categories for because we read Bible stories or when we were kids and went to Sunday school and, and we know what we think of this, that, or that. That's bad. Idolatry is bad. Jeremiah 10 is about idolatry in part. But I wanted to read to you out of Jeremiah 9. It's here on the left-hand side at the top of the column. This is just a couple of verses before Jeremiah 10. You're familiar with this passage. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practice steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. Wonderful passage. You could almost expect to find a poster of it at Bed Bath & Beyond. Allow you to put it on your fridge and feel all spiritual because it says something, you know, deep and kind. But I want you to be thinking, that's, oh, two verses before chapter 10, and at least in terms of your Bible reading, you'd be reading right out through that, and then into 10, your, your mind might change the subjects, but I want you to remember that, that you might know him, that you can boast of knowing him. Jeremiah 10.1. Hear the words the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, learn not the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, because the nations are dismayed at them, for the customs of the peoples are false. That conversation Davis referred to uh, the other night on cosmology, there was a general hoorah in the room about why people disagree. I don't know if you've ever disagreed. I seem to collect it. You disagreed with me a few times, I'm sure. We find ourselves at odds with one another. You go out on the street and somebody is wrestling you to the ground within a few feet to impose on you either a, a, 
a freedom from mascarama or you know, submission to it, one way or the other. People differ. I guess we're having an election later this year in which our differences will be tallied up. We don't see the world the same way. We can be looking at the same thing. We were talking about a little bit in law since Davis and Manisha are both lawyers and how two different lawyers can look at the same thing. Two different pastors can look at the same passage. And you've been in Bible studies where you're all going through the same passage and somebody is saying something that's really nonsense. And then you explain to them how it is nonsense and they're looking at you a little frightened like, my gosh, he believes that. We have a problem. And the problem is your perception, right? I was thinking, meditating on the verse, I don't have it here anywhere on the page, out of Isaiah. They shall indeed see, but never perceive. They shall indeed hear, but not, never understand. That's pretty much all of us. We see, and the reason we differ is either, my father used to tell this to Doug and me all the time, one of you's wrong, or both of you. He was going for both of us. It isn't a postmodern world. You don't get to be right just because you got a blue ribbon at the fair for your Lego creation. Most of us are wrong. But we're living in a world in which we put forward our wrong-headed notions of politics, of theology, of, of finance, of art. And just Jeremiah is warning us here, well, the Lord is, learn not the way of the nations. Don't be dismayed at their understanding, in this case, of cosmological things. For the customs of the peoples are false. The way they look at it are wrong. One of the things is just stepping forward is to realize that just about everybody on just about everything is wrong. Now, a lot of what we have right, thankfully, are things that let the trains run on time and you to walk through a door without hitting the, the jams on either side. Your perception is good enough. You saw the door. You saw this gap between the pews. And you're going to negotiate that, hopefully, with an agreement about the reality of pew placement with the pews themselves. Because it's really important, not that you agree with me about the pew placement, but that you agree with the pews about pew placement. Because if you disagree with Evan, we might get into an argument about it, but you'll do a face plant if you get it wrong with the pews. My view can be wrong. The pews view can't be. Our problem is not that we don't see, is that we don't perceive. You, basically, you have, this is kind of vague, but you see things, then the question of perceiving the thing you saw. And perceiving the thing you saw means that 
you know how to put it in the mix of all of life that you have in front of you. You know that when you look down the street, you say, that car looks about two blocks away. You know, because of how you look at things and other things that are that far away, that's how far away they look, architectural perspective. You get a sense of where to put it. That's your perception. Because someone could walk out the door and see exactly the same car and not have perceived anything about the car. Its place, its value, its color. <laughs> so when you perceive, you're putting it into your world. You're saying, I'm arranging my, my sight. The things I saw, I'm now arranging into a life. And then, when I stand back and look at it, it's like doing a painting. You go, yeah, that's the way I think it is. That's what I believe. So I saw, I perceived, and I believed. When God tells the people of Israel that they will not, they will indeed see, but never perceive. Because if they perceive, they might turn for me to heal them. It's a great passage. Christ uses it to talk about his use of parables, how he can confuse people. The, the world, the customs of the people that are false, verse 3, a tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an axe by the hands of the craftsmen. In nowadays, a tree from the forest is cut down and some global warming uh, affirmational group is going to be on you like, it's not about the idolatry. It is actually about the idolatry. But they're making an idol out of the tree here. Worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. Men deck it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so that it cannot move. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field. That's almost poetry right there. Hey, what shall I have it be a scarecrow in? I don't know. Wheat field is too, you know, noble. Let's make it a cucumber field. A cucumber scarecrow. And they cannot speak. They have to be carried, for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither is it in them to do good. It's that, it's that wrong. Now, what an idol is, is an image of the image you made of certain realities. You claimed this God was there to protect you, to do good to you, to make your animals fertile, your wife fertile, um, your enemies defeated, whatever it is. You got to go offer sacrifices. People still do this in the world. You know, you go to Indonesia and they're all over the landscape with regular folks dropping off bowls of rice, flowers at the idols on the street corners because they believe it. They believe that those idols really are the thing though they are made out of stone or wood. What I wanted to, as I was looking at this, I was realizing that although we are Western, we are, we are not, who was I talking to the other night? Um, somebody on the porch about idolatry. Who was it? It was uh, Jesse. It was Jesse. Um, 
about idolatry, how St. Paul says, the, the idol uh, covetousness, which is idolatry. We're talking about how we don't have idolatry in the United States, really. We don't erect and build a god out of concrete and bow down to it. We're all still doing the same thing that the idol maker is doing. We just do it for money. You know, we, just, we just do it for the materialistic gains that we think, if I draw the right picture with my 401k, if I make enough money, I think uh, Frank was telling me, Frank Chang was telling me one time, a few years ago, that everyone asked, how much more money would you need to make to be happy? Didn't matter whether you're rich or poor, everyone said $10,000 per year. Make $10,000 more per year. It could be anything from Warren Buffett down to the bum on the street. Just, I just need $10,000. We always feel it's, it's, a, it's a big chunk, but it's not unattainable. We have hope. We have a picture of what will make our lives right, how we could draw it better, how I could buy the right vacation, I could buy the right doodad. Because you're making a picture of the world. Now, this is where my new hammer comes in. I've been all about this in my private thought thinking, so uh, forgive me. Um, you don't, you don't, you don't live in a real world. You know that. You live in your picture of the real world. Everything that is, and I believe what you're seeing is pretty close to what is real. Not quite. You're, you're, you're hallucinating a little bit. These are all the people that are here, and this is the building that you're in, and yes, you can walk down the aisle. But past that, the reason we get into fights, the reason we go to war with one another, is because some of us are hallucinating. We're not seeing what really is. We're, not, we're only seeing it. We, we have to make a picture of what is. We have to build an image in our brain of what we think our senses are, are giving us. And then you have to understand it. What was it? The uh, was it Lily Waskowski? Was she the he actually ex guy dude that got turned into a woman with his twin twin brother or not twin brother? Just two brothers. They're the ones that did the Matrix. And now, of course, he's saying that the Matrix was a trans metaphor. Oh yeah, yeah, I saw that. I could see a Christian metaphor, but a trans metaphor? People don't see the same things. And because you don't recognize necessarily that it's in you that the image occurs, rather than what it seems like it being out there, God did make a world out there. That is what you're seeing, but your relationship is all inside of you. And you get so annoyed with someone because when they have a hallucinogenic moment and see something different than what you see, you think they are so out of touch because you assume they're not building it in their own brain too. You're building it in your brain. They're building it in their brain. 
They're erecting their idol. You're erecting yours. You're drawing a little picture in which you live of the world around you. Now, what I saw in this passage, other than the fact you say, Evan, you spend too much time alone, too much time in that bathtub of yours, thinking thoughts, and you should not be allowed out. Now, I grant that. Take it, throw, it over, throw it away. Throw the whole supposal away. But in this passage, there's a way of viewing the cosmos that the nations have wrong. They build, they build statues they bow down to. These are grown human beings. Intelligent, capable, artistic, grown human beings. And they still do it today. Some of the most famous people in the world live surrounded by idols. Remember I went to the Vatican a year and a half ago? They didn't invite me. The place is filled with idolatry. One of the greatest places on the planet. Artistically, historically, in a building that just makes you weak at the knees to look at it. Occupied by one of the most famous people, one of the most powerful famous people in the world. He's called the Pope. And he's wrong. Really wrong. You say, Evan, that's a little uppity. You got your little steeple. Your little steeple. He's got this dome designed by Michelangelo. Yeah, I know it sounds a little uppity, but nonetheless, I see the world differently than Pope Francis. You see the world differently than Evan or Pope Francis. We've got an issue here, and our, our issue is what do we do with the world when we're looking out of our eyes and we're not just picking up all the same data. Mostly, we're, we had an illusion of it's all the same data so that when we disagree, we took, it's unforgivable that someone thinks differently than you. And we build a picture inside of which we choose to live. We build a picture, and then we find the other people who built the same picture, and we get together in a room and... and and get along with each other because we share the same picture. That's how we handle it mostly. We become tribal. We don't want to ever have a fight, so we get together with people we don't disagree with. No, I think I like this church one because I know we disagree. I enjoy the fact that we disagree. I enjoy the fact that we still sit down together in good-natured friendship with one another in spite of the disagreements. Because it's really not about us forcing degrees of agreement. And we, we will not bring world peace until we make everyone speak English, buy into capitalism, and what else do we have to require? Um, is that good enough? English and pickup truck, that'd be good. Good ad. Thank you, Patrick. Caught something. I would have missed it. Good pickup, English, capitalism, world peace. That's what most people think about their picture that they drew. 
they think they can only export their picture, their idol, their little carving. See my little carving? And you say, I don't think that's what it looks like. What are we all doing? There are none like, there's none like thee, verse 6. O Lord, thou art great, and thy name is great in might. Who would not fear thee, O king of the nations? For this is thy, their, thy due, for among all the wise ones of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like thee. That's one of my good verses. They are both stupid and foolish. The instruction of idols is but wood. Jeremiah is looking at the constructs of the people. And he's then looking at the construct of the living God. The living God, it's not so much what picture you drew, it's where you go to make the picture. Because you're saying to yourself, I can either make one up like the nations. They told me not to do that. The customs of the peoples are false. And if I make something out of church history or some theological book I read or whatever. I want my instructions in my life to be paper and ink or wood. It's important that I meet God. It's important that the God be real. It's important that if I have a view, we can't escape the fact that you just have a view of the world. You want to stand as close to what the actual thing is you're looking at. You want to walk up to it. It's not like a eye chart that you're, the doctor won't let you get in close so you can memorize the, you know, the line. You want to walk up to the eye chart. You want to examine every inch of it and say, okay, it's in this pattern. It's in this order. I want to see what's in front of me. I want to submit to what I have seen. I want what I've seen to be true. I want what I have seen to be accurate. I want to preach that accuracy and be able to offer it to anyone and say, okay, that's what it is. That's what I think it is. You go ahead and look too, because you will see it. If you walk up to the eye chart, you won't come up with a different number of letters and a different identity to those letters. We want to know the real thing. We want to know the real God. Beaten silver is brought from Tarshish and gold from Uphaz. They are the work of the craftsmen and of the hands of the goldsmith. Their clothing is violent and purple. They are all the work of skilled men. Some people believe in falsehood because it's really talented. <coughs> I don't want to use this as an example. What is that? Invictus, the poem. <coughs> dumbest poem in history. I mean, I am the captain of my fate, or the master of my fate, the captain of my soul. You know, you want to punch this guy in the face, you know, just say, for writing the poem. You know, I don't care what the philosophy is, bad enough, but that kind of schlock. But, you know, let's just say, oh, we, we all like John Milton, right? John Milton? Christian guy, famous, 1600s, Paradise Lost, great work of English lit, and probably every false notion you have about Satan is taught to us by John Milton. You know, 
we just got, we're just wrong because John Milton wrote such great verse. The fact that it is done by a skilled craftsman. I mean, what, the idol of Zeus at Olympia, I think it was, by Phidias. Are you classics people? Okay, uh, Phidias, I'll just make this up. By Phidias, out of, what's it called? Elephantine? I forget what it's made out of. Uh, 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 carved ivory. Huge statue of Zeus. And uh, uh, it's one of the seven wonders of the world. It's not there anymore. Somebody probably like Oliver Cromwell said, this is an idol, isn't it? Let's tear it down. The statue of, Olymp of Zeus at Olympia, one of the wonders of the world, skilled men, some of the best. You go to Harvard, you go to Yale, skilled men come up with these notions of the universe. Yes, I think it's string theory or chaos theory or, you know, the strong force. They're, they're just talking out their butts, right? But really skillfully. Some of those idols are nice. I mean, you've seen, I don't think the Pieta by Michelangelo is an idol, but it's, it could be. It's that good. That's the Mary holding the dead body of Christ. Just brilliant. Just, you know, give you the goose, goosebumps. Um, tremendous. Don't think because you're getting good at the picture you're drawn that you're getting right in the picture you're drawn. The world that you've worked out has a God to answer to. That's the difference between our God and theirs. Verse 10. Now, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At his wrath, the earth quakes, and the nations cannot endure his indignation. Now, I have this next verse centered and bolded because for some reason the writer Baruch the amanuensis of, of Jeremiah, wrote this verse in Aramaic. The rest is Hebrew, and all of a sudden, boom, verse 11 is in Aramaic. Thus shall you say to them, the gods who did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. Got it? When I open in prayer here at church, it's, dear Lord God, maker of heaven and earth. Now, I'm a creationist, and it's not because it's right for evangelicals to be a creationist. He is the maker of heaven and earth, not to accommodate a certain orthodox view that I can argue with non-believers over. The other gods did not make this earth, did not make these heavens. They are, therefore, part of this earth and part of these heavens. They are in the moment. They are in the subjective. They do not stand above it bringing it into being out of nothing. When I say that, when I say that, it means I have a debt past my own preferences or my own, you might say, adroitness with a pencil or with a chisel carving the idol. I have to answer to the God. He's not 
waiting for me to design him to exist. Sometimes we forget that in theology. We think we're our, our job is to make a very Hellenistic, purified definition for the God, just like we were carving an idol. We want to make sure our idol holds up to all naysayers. He said, no, God is somebody. God is someone. We deal with him. He, he made this place, and I have got to make him happy. Not me happy with the drawing I made. I'm not making me happy with the idol I made. I'm making God happy with my faithfulness to his world. It is he who made the earth by his power who established the world by his wisdom and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. Got it? When he utters his voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens, and he makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightnings for the rain, and he brings forth the wind from its storehouses. Now, this is why I was thinking this way. He's saying, I'm up against the idols, which means I'm up against you guys because the idol is instruction of wood. They're made out of stuff. It's you. You're the problem. And we still have the problem that we don't bow down to statues. We bow down to other creations or what we think the world is actually like. Every man is stupid. Remember how the idols are stupid and foolish? Now it's the people. Every man is stupid and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols, for his images are false and there's no breath in them. You've got a picture you painted. You drew a picture of how you think the world is. And you're wrong in some of it. And hopefully the parts you're right in are either so obvious that basic eyesight's going to carry you through. There are people who don't even get that right. We have them in Orofino. Okay? They're in the hospital because they can't get basic things like not walking through walls. So we get most of it, but all the rest of it, as soon as we get into a conversation more than three minutes long, you're going to say something about COVID or say something about Donald Trump or you're going to say something about you know, the penal substitutionary atonement and you're going to be in a fight because somebody's wrong. We're put to shame. Our discord is that we're put to shame by the pictures we're drawing. And maybe if we approach drawing them, we can't avoid drawing them because we're limited to an image cast on the back of our retina that we had the perception about that we are believing. But you want it to be good eyesight, looking at the true thing, and have your perception guided by God and his revelation. So if I'm going to see the world, I'm going to take God's witness of it, says, okay, but I'm going to constrain how I think by the God who made that thing I saw. That helps me from doing dumb things. But that doesn't mean taking the orthodox position. Orthodoxy is not more smart, more, just been around longer. More people hold to it. That didn't make it right. You are accountable to the God, not to the church. The God who made this earth. They are worthless, verse 15. A work of delusion. At the time of their punishment, they shall perish. 
wrote those words down on the side, worthless delusion perishing. I don't know if you ever had that humbling moment, kind of an existential crisis, when you realize that you're the only one that holds your view of things. I mean, completely, you're, you're the only one. And when you're dead, it will be gone forever. And the world will go on thinking about things all sorts of different ways, just not your way, the way you saw it. Not only are you not there, but your your world in which you thought you existed isn't there anymore. Because it's, you're living in a world of your, your sight and your perceptions and your beliefs. Some of it's true. It will go away. So what's, your, what's, what's, the, what's the advice? Is it just sort of, ah, have I, I don't know, I don't know. How do I see things? Is it all is it all an illusion? Some sort of Christian science moment? No, you have a portion. They are worthless, a work of delusion. At the time of their punishment, they shall perish. Not like these is the portion of Jacob. Now that's just a nice Bible phrase. You skip right over the portion of Jacob. That means. The inheritance of Jacob, the, what his share, his share of the world. Not like, not like these idolatrous nations. Not like the social professor on campus. Not like that. The church is better off. You are better off. But not because we all have the right idea, because we differ too. And we get things wrong too. But you've been given a portion because there was a, there's a world, an actual world, that you are seeing, that there's this general picture create, created of, that, that we then make a jigsaw puzzle out of it, and you got a piece to design to fit the whole that exists in the puzzle. That's why we run off and join cults or strongly worded positions about X, Y, or Z, because we want to be more confident about the puzzle piece, because we want it to fit the image. We want it to go together. You have a portion, 50 yards around you in any direction. That's it. That's all you can see. That's all you can process. That's all you can help. But it is a portion. And you have a God. You're not like the world because it's not just the world and your senses informing you. It is the message of the God informing you. The God is communing with you and telling you what he wants you to see in that. You look on things and you want to have his opinion. They shall look upon him whom they have pierced. Get up in the morning and you look out your eyes at a world that you know God made and you're taking God's offered perception. You say, I'm going to help you understand this one. I'm going to give you reason. I'm going to reveal myself to you. I'm going to have a prophet tell you. This is what it's like. All of us building idols, and sometimes we build them inside of Christianity about different things. You know you got it wrong when, to one degree or another, that this whole process is rife with problems 
just because of the difference of the chaos that exists. Is God your portion? I think that's what we, we say. You'll never get escape this raw subjectivism. But is God your portion? The Lord of hosts. That's basically his, the, the phrase, Lord of hosts, means the Yahweh of armies. Is he your God? For he is the one who formed all things. And Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. And the Lord of hosts is his name. Have you gotten there yet? We know that we are at a loss because God has made us autonomous. God has made us free to make a judgment about the world around us. There's nothing happening to us necessarily or very little. And we're supposed to make up our minds. And you're supposed to make up your minds initially that God made heaven and earth. Two, you are his people. And what is his name? Yahweh of armies. When we submit to these things, we have the beginning of knowing, the beginning of meaning. Jeremiah 9, which I quoted at the beginning, I just wanted to come back to it here at the end. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practice steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. When you say you know him, all of the patterns of the world, not just the idols made by the craft of man, no matter how good they are, they're not just false, but might, wisdom, riches. That's not the point. That's not how you define your picture. Oh, you may be rich. God bless you. You may be wise. God bless you. But I'm supposed to glory in that I know the living God. And he is steadfastly loving, just, and righteous. That's who I am. not just the Lord of hosts. I'm the God I know. Find the God you know. Because the God, this is why we defend creationism, is it puts your existential crisis in different terms. You're no longer thrown to the wolves with your subjectivism, no different than everybody else's subjectivism. You have known God, and he made it. Give you a head start. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. You've been good to us. Help us perceive the way you see your world, the way you made it to be seen. Help us honor it at the right level in each thing. In your son's name we pray. Amen.